I'm, I'm not the fixer. God, God, God's the only one who can fix. I'm here to be present with. And in the presence, when I bring my presence, she can be present. And when she can be present, we can be together. And I'm convinced that's the space in which the Spirit of God wants to do the work instead of me trying to be God for my wife. What's up, fam? It's your boy, JJ. This is a mini Manso Friday. Um, this one was awesome. Uh, Jeff Vanderstel is the man. He is that dude. If you liked him, check out 10 Man Ministries or Saturate Ministries. Um, it got a little emotional. And I think, uh, you know, as someone who has a really hard time um, sharing my needs, uh, I had a pretty disdainful is that a word disdainful? I think so. Distasteful view of uh, needs and sharing needs. I, I just viewed, you know, I want to be the most Christ-like guy. Uh, I want to be so surrendered and so, you know, solid that I don't have needs. You know, I have wants, I have desires. I don't really have needs though. And it was just, I don't, I don't want to call it self-righteous or I just didn't know. Uh, I didn't grow up in a, in a house where needs were okay. Needs were extremely difficult for me. And, um, and I, I, from a younger age had a, a pretty negative view of emotions, uh, even to the point where I was, you know, with in relationships or dating, even with Kate, I would just almost look down at someone if they were needy or had needs. And, um, yeah, and, and that's just me being honest and vulnerable with you guys in that sense. So this episode was just such a treat, not just for you guys, for me personally, I mean, you'll see, we walk through a live exercise and it gets emotional. So I just, I think if you're a single guy listening to this and you would admit, uh, whether to yourself or to a friend, uh, yeah, me and emotions, we don't get along too great. Uh, this is a great episode for you and my heart's with you. I'm here for you and we, we want to see you guys grow. We want to see you guys really, really have a place where your feelings do matter because I promise you <laughs> that is going to be the number one most loving thing you can do for your future bride and woman is to be able to look at them and say, Hey, your feelings matter. Cause I know what it's like to have my feelings matter. And I want to extend that same safe place for you. And that's actually how you connect, but we'll get it all up into that in the episode today. I love you guys. I hope you have the best weekend ever. And I will see you guys in the episode. Let's go. Jeff, my man, what's good? Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How's uh, how's Seattle? It's great. Yeah. Yeah, except we're we're kind of sad. You know, we we have a, a head coach for the Seahawks that got fired. We've got the head coach for the Huskies that that left, you know, for Alabama. Uh, and then, of course, ha most of the team took off, too. So I know. Uh, hey, I just uh, I didn't tell you this, uh, but fun fact, I just want to say thank you so much for Coach DeBoer as an Alabama fan. Thank you so oh much for all goodness. the players that are transferring. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. As if as a Bama needed to get richer. I know. Come on now. 
I know, absolutely reloaded. I mean, we've had a lot of guys leaving, but I mean, he uh, he's an amazing coach. Are you are you guys more sad about leave, uh, losing uh, Pete Carroll or Coach DeBoer and, and UW? Uh, probably DeBoer because Carroll. I think you know, I love I love Pete. Um, he's definitely had his run, but he stayed. You know, he didn't want to leave. It's another thing when someone wants to leave after they made a promise that they weren't going to leave. Like, yeah, I think that's people. I think are hurt by what felt like an empty promise. So, yeah. And th- I mean, he was like a dad, dad to those players, you know, I, I mean, know he was, I love him. He's a great guy. Really. All my interactions with him were great. And so to see that, and I knew the players, several of them. And so to see someone that was a, a man who poured into their lives, just, walk away and not ever explain it to them was really painful. I, I can't imagine. And so you, I, you've gotten to meet him, I imagine, right? A couple times. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is he a Christian? Every, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. Just super, Yeah. I mean, super... at least he presents himself as one. Like I, I've not been in his life enough to know all of his life, but yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I was always just so impressed. For, I think he's in his seventies and the way that he's running around on the football field. And Oh, you're talking him. about Pete. Oh yeah. You're talking about Pete. No, I don't think Pete's a Christian. Okay. Coach DeBoer is though. DeBoer, yeah, I thought you meant DeBoer. Uh, okay. Yeah, DeBoer is a believer. Um, I don't know about Pete. Um, I know people who've been in Pete's life, and yeah, I have gotten to meet Pete. Um, but he's kind of like a he's he's open to things. Like he's really open to spirituality, and so he's open to the things of Jesus. But I don't know that he's ever really committed his life to Jesus. Got it. Got it. If he has, I don't know it. So not like Russ. Not like Russ, or, or there's others like Brooks. Jordan Brooks is a strong believer on the team. Um, Jordan, actually, last time he interacted with a bunch of us, said there aren't nearly as many Christians on the team now as there used to be. So, really? That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Tyler Lockett is a strong believer from what I know. Um, he's got the coolest Brooks, story. Tyler Lockett does. He's amazing, man. I so love cool. Um, <laughs> okay. And and so you've been in uh, Seattle. Are you? Uh, how long have you been in Seattle? Well, I moved here in 91, uh, 1991, met my wife. Um, we were here, I was here then till 97, did a six-year stint in Chicago, and then came back. So I've been here since 2003. Okay. So. And you guys are approaching, are you 24, 25 years of marriage? No, when I was looking at those notes, I was going to tell you like, hey, we're actually, this must be like seven years old. <laughs> oh, wow. We're like 30 year, 31 years in March. Wow. Dude, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. And you guys yeah, met on a uh, Christian Mingle, Hinge, Bumble, or no, no, none of that existed back then. Remember '91? Yeah. <laughs> Go how, back. How did you guys meet? Uh, I was I was a youth pastor at the church that was connected to a Christian school that she grew up going to. She was in college when I took the job, and so I also did some stuff with the college students. And one of her friends uh, said, "Oh, I want you to meet our new youth pastor," and so. These two college girls show up at my house uh, one night. I'm just sitting out on the front porch playing guitar with my roommate, and they walk up the driveway, and I'm like, oh, that woman is amazing. I, and I literally heard this. That's your wife. Wow. Like, like I was like God wanted to get my attention, and I could not I could not hear it. It was like so clear. So I'm like, that's it. Going after her. And and, uh, and you just happen to be on the front porch playing guitar in a cutoff shirt, cowboy hat, you know, looking you know. <laughs> post workout, your biceps for that's, right. that's right, nice and big. <laughs> that's right, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and you guys have three kids now, right? One in yeah, college, two. two in high school. 
two in, in college okay. now. So one is graduating from the University of Washington this spring. Okay. Uh, and then our son is in his second year at Bellevue College. Um, and yeah, he lives on the University of Washington campus in like a guy's discipleship house. Both, both he and my daughter were part of those houses. And then our youngest is a junior in high school. Okay. Man, they're all local. You kept them close. Yeah, so girl, boy, girl. So awesome. I love it. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm probably going to be coming to you here in about a month for, for girl dad advice. Uh, Kate's due in about four weeks from now. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, next time we talk, we'll probably have a little, a little one greeting you. Yeah, I'd love to, love to help if I can. Absolutely. I mean, what we're going to talk about is, is key, honestly. Um, uh, so, I'm hopefully that'll help you, <laughs> dude. I'm, I seriously like, I've never been more excited for an episode for myself. Like, usually it's on behalf of men listening, uh, which is always great, and I'm just as excited. But you know, I've even come to you personally of, hey, I. I am so interested in what you teach, like on behalf of myself, I recognize this as totally something that I register with, uh, even as a single, even as a married man, uh, I am just not great with my emotions, uh, in this sense. And it starts right from childhood and teenage years. Um, before we jump in though, cause today's super, super deep and rich. I have a fun, would you rather question? Okay. I asked all my, all my guys, this on Fridays. All right, here we go. Would you rather fight an ostrich to the death or would you rather fight a shark and the worst that can happen is you lose a limb? Oh, gosh. I'd rather fight an, uh, the ostrich. Oh, you're taking on the ostrich? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, why is that? Uh, I, I think my chances are better with an ostrich. <laughs> okay. Wait. And I'd, I'd rather keep my limbs. I think I, I think I can keep my limbs and win. Okay. So oh, you said I have to fight to my own death or fight to their, to the ostrich's death. I, like ostrich, like only one of you is leaving. Oh yeah. I'm killing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, are you going to go for the neck? Like, what are you? Oh yeah. Your... Just grab that thing and snap it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm a scrap. I'm a scrapper, man. Like whenever I fought, I didn't lose. Okay. Oh, dude. I see. I would love to see it. Yeah, I mean, I'll take on people bigger than me. I did when I I'd always beat up bullies when I was a kid because I'm like, you don't get to pick on little kids, so I'd go. Fight. I love it. You're like, uh, where would you grow up specifically? In Michigan. Okay, so, Muskegon, Michigan. Yep. Okay, so, I love it. So you were you were a scrapper fighter as a kid? I was a scrapper. Played hockey, um, so I had that in me. Were you the um, enforcer? No, I was actually a goalie, but I was one of the few goalies who dropped his gloves and fought. So oh, I mean, that is so h- hardly cool. ever happened, but I'd like, like I did it, man. I was going to put up with it. So so no one came into <laughs> your zone, right? They knew better. They did not. No, oh, that man. is so fun. Yeah. I okay. Not, not to be messed with. And so, so you're a, a Pistons, uh, you know, Lions, everything fan. I grew up with, yeah, Pistons, Lions, Red Wings. University of Michigan, Wolverines. So, like, I'm a Wolverines fan before I'm a Husky fan. Oh, and okay. Red Wings, yeah, yeah. So, this has been a great so, month for you. It's been really amazing. Yeah, I got to have both my teams in the Natty. And, uh, you know, I was going to win either way. Yeah, so. this has been crazy Michigan. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never yeah. seen a team uh, as beloved as the Detroit Lions right now, I think. Oh, my goodness. There's not a person yeah. in America who doesn't want to see them win the Super Bowl. Man, that would be incredible. Yeah. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, it has. Dan Campbell, like every time I listen to him, I like I literally want to run through a wall for that guy. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, He's turned that place around, man. It's amazing. Yeah, he has. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, all right, let's jump in. So, you know, uh, we met last year at a retreat. Uh, I still have your sheet, you know, with the emotions and what they lead to and what they signal and what the guide and, and Kate and I were just blown away. Um, really, you know, you have a couple different phrases to talk about, you know, emotional health and most emotional maturity as a Christian. Um, I, I love that you say feeling your way to Jesus, or there's another title I saw frequently in your talks, which is the gospel fluency of the heart. Um, how would you describe those two phrases? How did you come to even be in the place that you are where you teach on it personally from your experience? And, and what would you say is the difference if there is one between those two phrases? Yeah, some of its origin. So I, uh, years ago, I wrote a book called gospel fluency and it, the subtitle is uh, speaking the truths of Jesus into the everyday stuff of life. And I realize that a lot of people don't see the gospel applying to all of life. They see it applying to maybe forgiveness of sins or life after death, things like that. And so that was a book that I'd written to show that the gospel actually applies to everything. And then I went through my own journey of waking up to my emotional world, getting my heart back as uh, the language we use with Tin Man Ministries, which is a ministry I'm a part of now. And, it's you know that Tim Man didn't know he had a heart, and so he had to, his journey through Wizard of Oz was really to to realize he had a heart all along, but he had to get it back. He had to become aware of it or get back to it. So my own journey led me to start to realize, well, I had shut down my feelings and emotions at a very early age, and we can talk about that if that's important. But I I didn't know how to attend to my awareness of my needs, which is what your feelings do, is they help you become aware of your needs. And therefore, in a lot of ways, I wasn't bringing my real self to Jesus. I wasn't bringing the true Jeff. I was bringing Jeff with a bunch of layers that looked like he wasn't as needy or as in need as I really am. And so I think the feeling your way to Jesus came about when I began to realize that the more that I become aware of my needs, the more that I become aware of my need for Jesus. So Mm. Jesus does things like, Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's like, well, if you don't feel sadness, you won't mourn. If you don't mourn, you won't realize you need a comforter, which means you'll never know Jesus as your comforter, because you only get to know Jesus as your comforter if you actually have sadness that you mourn that needs comfort. And so there were so many ways that I realized I wasn't going to Jesus because I was not really in need of Jesus to be my healer, my comforter, my protector. I mean, all these things that he is. And so in a lot of ways, I was going to Jesus to be my forgiver because I felt guilt, uh, but I didn't feel all the other feelings very, very fully. And so now I'm realizing, man, I get to go to Jesus for everything. And he's actually able to meet every need I have. And not not just notionally, because I think all of us go, yeah, well, he's great. He'll take care of all your needs. I mean, true, intimate acquaintance with him meeting that need in a true relational sense. And so the feeling your way to Jesus is really a subtitle that I came up with for the book that's going to hopefully come out next fall, which will be called Gospel Through the Heart, subtitled Feeling Your Way to Jesus. So we get to the gospel through our heart but we do it by feeling our way to Jesus. So that's kind of the whole idea. So, so awesome. And and gospel fluency of the heart is that same vein, right? It's just letting the gospel reach and speak the language. I mean, you say fluency. I'm like, well, that's like language, right? Of my whole heart, right? Not not just like a 10th of it. Yeah, because the, the reality is, is, and I don't know if you want me to dive into this, but in terms of how we're made, when you're born, uh, the part of your brain that feels is 95% developed. 
which is why when a baby's born and you'll, this is what you're going to listen to when you have a new one coming to your own life. <laughs> right. Like you, you want crying. If that baby doesn't cry when uh, he or she leaves uh, her mother or his mother's womb or body comes out into this cold, detached, bright world, right? All the emotions, all the feelings are happening in that moment. And the, the baby's feeling, you know, scared, lonely, um, hung, probably hungry. I mean, all these things, we get all these experiences that the baby has and the, the baby crying is the evidence that the brain is working, right? And the only way a baby can make he or she, you know, his or her needs known is through crying because they have no words at that point. So their, their feelings get expressed through crying and parents who are attuned know which cry is which need. And then you effectively meet that need according to the cry. Well, over time, the baby develops a voice and the job of a parent is to help now the baby give words to each feeling and need. So I'm sad. I need comfort. I'm scared. I need protection. Like, and so as they get a voice, now they give voice to what they need by becoming, they already know how to feel their needs. They've been doing it for probably a year or two, you know, before they start to get words to speak them. And so this idea of being fluent now is now we know how to make our needs known and go to the one who can meet our needs, which is all that we have in Jesus through the gospel. So that's kind of the gospel fluency. The heart concept is bringing that together. Now, the downside is that most people were told not to have feelings. Right. Right. And yet the rash and they're told to have thoughts like you need to you need to think you need to use you need to be rational here. It's like, yeah, but the problem is, is men, their their brain, their the rational part of their brain doesn't get fully developed till they're about 25 to 28. And women, it's about 23 or so to 24. So you're telling, especially boys, and this is what I heard, big boys don't cry, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words never hurt you. Like there's all these things that I was told, these catchphrases of saying, don't you dare feel. The problem is if I don't get to feel and make my needs known through my feelings, I don't have anything else to make them known through. Because my brain doesn't fully work yet. Right. It doesn't even, I can't even think. No. So I have this zone probably from like, in my case, probably about five years old till I'm like 28 where I don't know how to make my needs known. Yeah. And you have all these feelings. They're real. Right. (laughs) They're given to you by God (laughs) on purpose so that you would, you would be in relationship because it's once I feel my feeling and know my need. And, and then have a desire to have that need met, it's going to push me to relationship, to have that need met through God or through others. So to have to shut down all that is another way of saying, go be by yourself and stay isolated. Yeah, I just, I, I mean, what percentage of men would you say that you work with have shut down their feelings from that age of five? 80% probably, Yeah, maybe more. And is yeah. it, is it, so that's normal. It's more than normal, right? It's majority of men. Sadly, sadly very no- normal. And would yeah. you just say that the 20%, like, were they just blessed or lucky to have a house that guy or girl said, hey, like, your feelings, is it just coming down to this? Hey, your feelings are important. Like, yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a small portion of, 
and I'd say more, maybe a little bit more with millennial and Gen Z than like I'm Gen X on the edge of boomer, you know, I think <laughs> not a boomer, yeah, I'm not yeah, a boomer but I'm a 55. Clarification. <laughs> Just turned 55 today. So, uh, oh, today's your birthday? Yeah, it is. Let's yeah. go. Happy birthday, man. Thank you. Thank you. You look yeah. 45 for what it's worth. Hey, thanks. Do you dress for men? <laughs> no, okay. I have no nothing that I take. You're all natural. It's all natural. Wow, that, yep. that's amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a little gray you can see right there. Yeah, I'm like I'm like catching up to you already. I'm on, I'm 29. You know, like yeah, I've been blessed, I guess, with that. That's so. great. Um, so yeah, what were we saying? Um, the 20, percent you know, the few. Oh you yeah, grew up so, with. so I just I wonder, like, did they have? Did the 20% or maybe it's less. I, I don't have scientific proof. So it's just, I'm guessing. But right. No, it's great. Did, did they have parents that, that just understood how to attune and how, how to attach at an emotional level with their children? And, um, and I think that's probably what happened. I mean, I don't, you don't learn how to do it just by, it's not, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in relationships. So, well, so, okay. And, you know, you had a quote that blew my mind. And I really wish I would have heard it. I say 17 years old, honestly, at five years old, it would have been great. And, and, and I just heard it and it was like a lightning bolt. Um, you say to be needy is the best place we could ever be. And I could not think of a statement that I felt more opposite to growing up, even in my twenties, even when I met Kate to be needy in my mind was the worst place I could ever be. And to have a needy partner, a needy girlfriend, a needy spouse, I had just so much disdain, shame, and just like, like grow up, you know, kind of uh, mentality. And um, it, would you say like that phrase, you know, for you just changed everything? And, and how did you come to that place? Yeah, and I and now I might phrase it just a little bit differently to say I want to I want to be a person who embraces my weakness and is is um excited about being in need of others. Um <clears throat> and what what I mean by like that's this isn't new, right? This is this is the apostle Paul 2 Corinthians 12 like yes. you know, I'm he wanted the, this thorn in his flesh to be removed, asked three times. God said, no. God said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul says, I would much rather than boast in my weakness because it's in my weakness that the power of Christ is made perfect in me. And then you have Jesus in John 5 saying, the son can do nothing apart from the father. Whatever he sees the father does, that the son does also. And then in verse 30 of John 5, he says, the son can do nothing on his own. And then he says later to us in John 15, he says, you know, the people he's with, but it's also for us. If you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. To me, that sounds very needy. <laughs> yeah. If you think you about can't it. Do, you can't do anything apart from Jesus. And I, you know, when you look at the, the narrative of scripture, the, the problem with, with, with sin is, you know, the wage of sin is death. And don't think of that just like physical death. The word death in the Hebrew means separation. So the all, the outcome of our sin, and, and the word sin 
really needs to be rightly defined, which is any way in which we don't live out a life that looks like God. You're made in his image. So sin is falling short of the glory of God. The glory of God is the true nature of what God's like being experienced in human life. That's the idea. So any way in which we don't think like God, feel like God, act like God, talk like God is sin. And the reason why is because you're made in the image of God. And so anything that you do that isn't like the image of God, it's contrary to your nature. It's sin. And that sin produces death, which is the word separation. So it leads to a brokenness in our relation with God, with ourself, with others, with the world. And so when we understand all that, then we understand that the way of salvation is anything that leads us back into relationship with God, with self, with others, with the world. That's the goal of salvation. Jesus says, as he's praying, John 17, 3, Father, this, this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom he sent. Like, that's the goal, is that we would get back into relationship. And so when you now realize that emotions or feelings are what make you aware of your needs that will push you towards a relationship, then you realize how key they are to the working out of your salvation. Because of the thing that leads you to become aware of your need for a savior. Right. Because emotions... In every way. Right. And what you say is emotions are just indicators. That's right. They're just making you aware of what you need. It's like a dashboard on a car. Okay, the gas gauge is low. I need to fill it up. The oil is not looking great. Like, they're indicators. So they tell you what you need. I feel guilt. I need forgiveness. When I get forgiveness, I experience internal freedom from sin. So every feeling is meant to make you aware of a relational need to give you an, an internal gift. Guilt's the one we're most familiar with. If I feel my guilt, I know I need forgiveness. That's the relational need. Someone needs to forgive me. And then I experience internal freedom from sin. But that's that specifically one, for guilt. talks about all the time. That's just guilt. Yeah. We've got seven other emotions we or feelings we could talk about. Right, but that's like the primary major only one that is maybe endorsed yeah and then we want we'll, people to feel guilt for their sin we're like yeah that's a good feeling <laughs> yes we want you to feel guilt for your sin so you'll know you need forgiveness but it's like all the other feelings where we just go like but those aren't necessary right and so jesus says bless are those who mourn that's sadness yeah for they will be comforted so he clearly thinks that one's necessary too yeah and well, I actually, I just saw a clip this morning from Deb Falada, who's so amazing. Um, and she was saying biblical scholars have identified 39 different emotions that Jesus exemplified. Wow. 39. Oh my goodness. And my mind was blown, but it's, I love what you said. Guilt is the one, if you think about it in salvation and people becoming Christian, guilt is actually the only one that is kind of celebrated because we celebrate, we actually, that's the only one we get right. We celebrate it. We say, this is good because we know where it leads to the gift of salvation and freedom. But it's so mind blowing to think that we're just leaving so much on the table and God's like, there, there is an army of gifts, a plethora of gifts that we're just leaving and so would you say, okay, so two things. Number okay, one. Before you do that, isn't, yeah. isn't it interesting that, that Christians would say, we get, we're get we upset when the world doesn't feel guilt over their sin? 
Yes. And yet we tell them not to feel the other feelings over all the other parts where they need Jesus. Yes. The anxiety, the anger, the yeah, sadness, fear, the loneliness. Sad, loneliness, shame. That is so true. I mean, all the other feelings, you know, it's like, well, don't feel that. Well, and what even blows my mind even more, Jeff, is all of them can lead to Jesus in their own way. Absolutely. Like guilt That's is not the only way that people can come to salvation to Jesus. Yeah. My fear the fear, if I feel fear, fear is a good thing because it says I need somebody who's stronger than me, more capable than me, who can see in the dark when I'm in the dark, like all those things. So it's like my fear is though, if I don't have some fear, I won't move towards faith in somebody who can save me. Amen. I mean, yeah. And it's, well, I think about those people in my mind who are, I would say are the most intimate with Jesus and God. And I'm like, man, what is the one thing they all have in common? They all have those major emotions plugged into Jesus is what I would say. That's right. Yeah. They went to him with them or those, they, they woke up, they're, they're aware of their heart and they go to Jesus with all their needs. Okay. So, okay. Personal question. I'm, I'm someone who just struggles in general, always have, but even in marriage to just simply share my needs. What would, mm-hmm. what would you ask me? What would you maybe walk me through? Um, like, is that a personality like characteristic or is that just someone who maybe is just like had a bad relationship with needs in general? And that's kind of learned. Yeah. It's a learned behavior. Yeah. Like you didn't, I guarantee you when you were born, you didn't have a problem being <laughs> in need. Like you and you were hungry. I bet you made it known when you had a dirty diaper. I bet you made it. Known. Like you didn't have a problem when you were a baby making, being in need. Otherwise you wouldn't have survived. Right, you wouldn't have gotten what you needed. So it, it, you learned it. It's a, it's a cultural, it's a family systems, and I would even add, I think the church, and I love the church. Like I've given my life to to serve the church. I think the church has created a culture that says spiritual maturity is to be someone without needs. Right. Yes. Or weakness. Yes. I think that we have basically. F- created a culture that says when you have no need and when you aren't weak, then you're mature. Now and yet did, did that Jesus start? does just the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Did that start? Like, has that always been maybe the case? I, I've never studied, you know, church history regarding emotional health and needs, but my gut would say it would almost be like what I experienced with my parents or similar leaders in the baby boomer generation who all became Christians, right? Maybe in the, in the seventies uh, with the Jesus movement. And it was so much about, I'm a new creation in Christ. My past is behind me, right? Including the trauma, the needs on the suppression I can't show weakness, right? Because that means I'm maybe not saved. Like, is that what you have maybe kind of seen as how we ended up? Well, there's there's so many different streams. And you, really, you could take it all the way back to Genesis 3. Because Genesis 3 is where the serpent tells the man and the woman that they don't need God. Right? That's where it starts. Mm-hmm. So that's this idea of, like, she sees that the fruit is desirous for making one wise. It's the knowledge that she could have. Well, what is it? That's I can now get access to what I need without relationship, which is a lie. But that's the lie she believes. I can actually have everything I need without relationship with God. And so I think it's been since the beginning of our rebellion that we've tried to find autonomous, rational um, uh, provision. I'll say it that way. Like we we think it's – that's right, through by myself with my own thinking – I can get my needs met. 
Because that's all that was. It was an appeal to wisdom apart from relationship, which is is autonomous rationalism. If we want to define it. Like I can I can be by myself and I can rationalize my way through life. I then think it's just taken on different forms. I think the Enlightenment and Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. So now, and I think that's got streams of Gnosticism running through it, which is, it's just, if you have the right ideas, the right thoughts, even if they're disembodied, in fact, Gnosticism says they must become disembodied eventually. Like I've got to get out of this body. So that already says, you know, anything in your body is bad, including your feelings. Because you carry your feelings in your body, right? It's from your brain, but your body is what helps you recognize them. So um, I think all of that combined had led to it. And then I think you've got a builder generation. Now we're going to fast forward to, you know, more recent past. The builder generation had to go through two world wars, a depression. In a lot of ways, I think they, they became the survivors. They, a lot of people call them the survivor generation. And so when you become a survivor, you go through trauma. And the way to survive trauma is you shut down the emotions, your feelings, right? Just to get through, right? Well, then they raise boomers who become proficient at pragmatism and, and hard work and getting a lot done and feelings kind of get in the way of that. Right, the back burner. That's right. Now, here's what I, this is a extra bonus points here. <laughs> um, I think there's categories you want to think through. There's thought, there's, there's belief, thought, belief, and feeling. Thought, belief, and feeling. Now, by the way, you're born to fe- have your feelings first. So, um, just wow. to be clear, you yes. know, like, you know, that I don't know if you ever brought up with that whole engine, train engine yeah. analogy. That, it's an emotionally that, healthy spirituality. Yeah. 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 So we actually, you were born the opposite way. Your feelings start the first thing. Then you, you give thought, you have beliefs about those feelings and then you give thoughts to those feelings. But the reason why I think those three categories are important is because boomers were, were confident about beliefs and thoughts. They had no problem expressing them. Gen X comes along and says, can you really even know what is true? You've got postmodernism questioning truth. And then you got millennials that come along. Like, even if you thought you could know truth, it'd be very offensive if you said you, new truth or believe truth. So now we don't say it. Of course, nobody's feeling all these generations have like, that's out the window. Um, and then you get to Gen Z and it's like, you can't have thoughts, beliefs, but everybody is saying they all feel and lead with their emotions. I would just say, no, they're, they've been impairing their emotions so long. They use feeling language to say what they think or believe. Uh I just feel like you don't love me. It's like, that's not a feeling. That's a belief or a thought. Wow. But it's a ma- it's mass with feeling. Which yeah. of which is the craziest part as I think about that is that is the hardest one to deny. Because if I deny your feelings, I deny your experience and I That's deny right. your existence. Right. So millennials and Gen Zs are using feeling language to say what they believe or think. Ah. They're not actually saying what they believe or think. You're not saying they believe or think it. They're saying, I feel it. Like it's, I feel like God doesn't love me. It's like, no, that's a real belief, you know? And that came from some thoughts you have about the nature of God. Now tell me, and this is for you, because we're getting back to you. You said, what would I tell you? What what I would want to do is say, tell me what it's like. What do you feel when you think and believe that God doesn't love you? Yeah. Um, I would say I feel a lot of loneliness. Yeah. I would feel a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel a lot of sadness. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I would just feel so isolated, I guess. Like I'm just so, I, I mean, I'm just so on my own. So you just, you, you, you know that when you did that, you just showed up, like you really showed up. Like I saw you, you know, you, the, the real you just came out more than you have the whole entire time we were together. Yeah. And you felt it, you knew it. Cause you went oh, yeah. there and you were like, Whoa. And what, what, what that was, that moment was a moment of you expressing your need. I feel so lonely. Was what's the need? I want to be known. I want someone to be with me. I need, right. I, need I need a companion. I need a companion. Yeah. I feel so sad, man. As soon as you say that, I'm like, man, I want to come around and comfort you. Yeah. But that, your willingness to go there, which I didn't think you were going to do, which I'm really glad you did. You really yeah. did it in real time. You just made it possible for me to have a relationship with you. Not that we weren't relating, but we were relating around ideas. Right. And when you did that, I could relate around you. So feelings are almost that bridge to true relationship amongst. Ah. It's a, and you and anybody who's paying attention to what just happened saw the difference. When we, were, we, we, we relate around ideas, you and I could stay here with the idea there and we could relate to the idea. Yes. When, you, when we went from idea, thought, a belief about God not loving you to what do you feel about that, then the idea was like this and we went like this. Right. And we, we had – and now I could have rejected and I could have pushed you away. But I – and, we, you know, obviously it was a bit of an exercise. But if that was what you were really going through – I would have slowed down and said, man, that's super sad. Yeah. No, that's so lonely, man. And that's so painful. Let's talk. You want to talk about that. And if you, if that was what you were believing or thinking, so would you, we could have just had attachment happen yeah. at a whole different level. And so deeper relationship, right. Than we ever could have gotten by just relating Absolutely. to thought to thoughts or ideas. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so for you to learn how to be with your wife in need is to go beyond talking about events or ideas and inviting emotion into the picture. So wow. for her to go, tell me what it was like this last week when that happened between you and your friend. How, how, what were you feeling? And as soon as you go there, she's going to go, Whoa, like, I got ability to attach that she didn't have before. Well, you know, what's crazy is probably about three or four weeks ago, I had a, a super vulnerable moment with her that I just kind of withheld for maybe a few months. And the response and the feeling and the intimacy and fellowship after that moment was the last thing I expected. And it was, it was like mind blowing. It was like soul blowing, right? Mm -hmm. So would you say it's fear of, so like, say I had that moment, right? Just, and I love the idea of vulnerability. I just say it, it's a, let's take that chest armor and like, you're just exposing yourself, right? You're to be woundable. Um, right. Is it just learned and past experiences of being vulnerable and having people maybe stomp on those feelings or reject them that we just say, oh, this is clearly not safe or okay for me yeah. to do. And that's why it just takes so much courage, right? It does, and, yeah. and future yeah. experiences. Probably a variety of things shape it. One might be that someone felt very um, 
they didn't ha- weren't at ease with you being in need, right? Whoever that might have been, maybe it's parents, but where it's like, because we feel out of control, right? When someone else expresses where they're really at and they have real needs, there's a sense inside of us that we feel like we're out of control because what can we do? And I think we like, yeah, we like to feel in control. And so we do whatever we can to get the person under our control, right? So kid, when kids are crying, like, I don't want that crying because, like, that feels like I'm out of control. So you need to stop your crying. It's like. Well, even when my wife has, when my wife has big, you know, emotions, it, I'm like mind blown. It's actually my control that's trying to guide her and ask these stupid, you know, agenda hidden questions to guide her and, and push her into the direction I, I think, you know, right. And it's the compassionate curiosity when I just sit there and I say, I have, I have no agenda to guide you into. I just want to listen. I just want to be a safe place for you to show up with what you're going through. And my job is to attune with you, which is to go, if, it, if what she's sharing sounds sad, that's, wow, that sounds really sad. You know, and I feel that. So like when you did what you did, I felt what you felt with you, by the way, even though I don't know if that's exactly what, I mean, you imagined God not loving you and you put yourself in that place and you had, you had access to your emotions very quickly, by the way. Yeah. Which was remarkable. Yeah. Not everybody goes there as quick as you did. Like a lot of guys maybe listening are going like, how did he go there so quick? So you've been doing some work. Otherwise you wouldn't have had access to that. Yeah. I, I, well, um, I'm very fortunate. My mom, uh, you know, I've done a lot of inner healing, you know, which is just people call it different things, you know, these days, which is great. It's just going to core memories and experiencing the feelings and emotions and then finding Jesus and, you know, looking for his truth and what he says and feels about you in that situation. Um, but no, I, you know, I, I think, um, we just have been talking so much about safe space, uh, within marriage or friendship. Right. And we just, that ability, you know, to have safe space and create safe space. You can't extend that safe space if you've never experienced it yourself. Yeah. If all you ever experienced was someone pushing you away when you were in need or weak or trying to fix you, which is another way of pushing you away, because it's like, I want a different version of you right now, not the one that's broken and in need. So I'm going to try to fix you, which by the way, as a husband, I did for most of the years of our marriage until like four or five years ago when I started getting the help I needed. And then I realized my wife doesn't want me to fix her or justify my behaviors when I've hurt her or defend my actions. She wants me to be present with her in whatever she's going through. Wow. Yes. To, to live in her reality with her. That's right. I'm, I'm not the fixer. God, God, God's the only one who can fix. I'm here to be present with. And in the presence when I bring my presence, she can be present. And when she can be present, we can be together. And I'm convinced that's the space in which the Spirit of God wants to do the work instead of me trying to be God for my wife. Yeah, I, if, I could, if I could talk about my experience of marriage or, you know, even dating for the past three, I would say that's, that is exactly the journey. Just friendship. Yeah. Friendship. Like Job's friends were not okay with just being with Job. I mean, they were at the beginning, but then they blew it. Right. The rest of the whole thing is about them trying to fix him or, you know, justify him or say why he's guilty. It's like, I never even thought up. about that. Not not just one just there was not one of them 
Not one of them was just no. there. Yep. Wow. Well, I'm so sad because I wish this wasn't such a mini-sode because I would talk to you for an hour and or two hours or three and it'd be amazing. Um, if I was a guy listening to this and I had the courage to and I maybe had the Holy Spirit highlighting as we talk about that suppression, the inability to share needs, you know, I, I know I'm somewhat numb to my emotions and I've, I've had, you know, a really negative view of them for so long. Um, does it take an, like an emotionally burnt out experience of being a pastor of 20 years of, of being a failed husband? Like what, what can be the catalyst to me saying, Hey, I don't, I don't want to be like this. Like I want to experience that safety. I want to, I want to view my emotions as something I can embrace that point me to a richness and fellowship with Jesus. Like what, what can be the catalyst? If Does it have to be burnout or can it just be me? And where do I start? No, wisdom, wis, the beauty of wisdom is that the person who wants wisdom doesn't have to go through pain to get it. They can get it from other wise people, potentially who've gone through the pain. I was Grant Skeldon and I, we, we did an interview and, and that's, that is what both of us who, if we were just as smart as you could have said, instead of a long winded response, wisdom is the ability to learn lessons without experiencing the pain. So I'd say, you know, you're, this next generation has watched enough brokenness because of our unwillingness to pay attention to our emotional world. And I think hopefully that's, and I'm, increasingly with both millennials and Gen Z, I'm hearing people go like, we don't want to repeat that. So, so let, let, let the wisdom of past mistakes cry out, you know, wisdom cries out from the streets. Proverbs says like, there's lots of people, lots of wisdom crying out saying, you don't have to wait till your life blows up. You don't have to wait till you hit a wall. You don't have to wait till it gets terrible for you to actually be a healthy human. So like you can, you can do the work now. And it's not, it's hard on one hand because it takes work. All work is hard, but the work is not impossible. The work is feel your feelings, tell the truth about them, become aware of your needs and move to God and others in healthy ways to get them met, which requires you got to be sitting with someone who's got some ability yes. to be present, right? And and that's, and, by the way, that's what a lot of what I do now with my Tin Man work right. is I'm helping older guys, but I, I meet with a lot of guys in their twenties and thirties. I'm just helping them feel their feelings, tell the truth about them, become aware of their needs, and then start to pay attention to where, they, where they've been going to get those needs met so that we can start to go to healthy places, ideally yeah. to God and to healthy relationships. So if I was a guy and I was just sitting here saying that safe person, the, the person who can just be with me, um, and it's not just you and Jesus and Holy spirit, right? There's like, there's the gift of fellowship between you and other men and women. Um, would you just say like, that's why 10 man exists is like, if you don't have that person, we would love to be that person. Yeah. I think 10 man is one of the ways you can do that. I, I do think, um, I think I'd really, I would invite you to pray and say, God, would you make me aware of somebody who, who I can see that feels like mm. it's amazing. Like you'll also be with someone going like, wait a minute, that guy's talking. And when he's talking, he's using emotion as part of his description of what he's going through. So start listening, like listening for people when they go like, man, that, I went through that and I felt a lot of sadness around that, or I felt real hurt. Or like, if you hear people using feeling language to describe 
the state of their being, they've probably done some work around this. So if you've got anybody like that around you, tap into that opportunity <laughs> relationally. And they're, they're increasingly, God is waking up the church to this aspect of who he created us to be. Yeah. So Amen. There are, the God's doing a beautiful work of really restoring us. I, I totally agree. The only thing I would just say, I'm I'm not scared of, but I have seen is it's um, wh- what would you say when that wisdom and that crying out is also attached with judgment of the the leaders and the boomers and the Gen Xers. Yeah, I mean, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, even the ones uh, who fail before us. That's right. Right. We think about ourselves when we think about that. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I was teaching once about. How I've seen a particular, we saw a particular leader fall a while ago, and I had a bunch of people ask about that. And as I shared what might have been going on in his internal world, and then to be able to say, like, that's, he's no different than us. Like, we're all, we're all like one decision away from starting to move away from God and people when we were in need of God and people. And so let's just keep saying, God, help me, be with me, show me the way. I cannot, I'm not here to judge people. Wow. I'm here to learn. I'm here to to gain wisdom. I'm here to realize there are ways that seem right that don't always lead to life. But I'm not here to I mean we should grieve, honestly. We should be we should have a deep level of sadness over anybody that's fallen. Wow. Well, as if you didn't already, you know, just drop so much bombs of wisdom and and grace. That is one of the best ways I've I've heard as Christians, you know, how we should respond. Cause you, I would say, you know, you've had the privilege and gift to be around fallen leaders in the, in the best way. And I, and I can't believe we're so blessed and fortunate to have a guy like you around a, a, a someone who might feel the way that they do. Um, so thank you so much on your birthday for yeah. hopping on, man. That was, that was so special by far. One of my favorite episodes that we've ever done. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to be thinking all day long <laughs> about this. Cool, cool. Well, thank you. Now, I, I feel here, I feel so grateful that you gave us your time on your birthday uh, and for your experiences over the decades that, that have led you to this moment uh, to share and encourage uh, men specifically to step into their feelings. Yeah, yeah. I, if I could just leave with this, I'd say, Let's learn how to be real men, and real men lead the way with being honest about what they feel and being aware of their needs and not being shy to make their needs known to God and people that are safe. Amen. That's that's going on Instagram, man. That's a great clip right there. All right, Jeff, have a blessed day. Thank you so much, my brother. Thanks. You too, JJ. Thanks.